welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker, and I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a show where I dive deep into the psyche of musicians. We talk about music, the creative process, music careers, mental health, the music business, touring, recording, balancing life and music, and anything else me and my guests want to talk about. If you want to learn more about music therapy and see upcoming guests and events, please visit musictherapypodcast.com. You can also visit jessicarisker.com to learn more about me and my own music. And if you're a fan of the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps us reach more listeners. Today, I'm so excited to talk with Adam Schubert of Ulna. Adam is a multi-instrumentalist living in Chicago and has been playing music for over 10 years. He has his own music project, Ulna, and he also plays in the Chicago band Cafe Racer. Ulna has a new album out called OEA. It's a bar rock getting sober record out now on Born Yesterday Records. The first full-length solo record of Ulna, OEA, was created right as Schubert reconfigured his life without drugs or alcohol. With the exception of the final track, Dead Friends, the whole album was written while in a recovery program. Schubert's songs are ambling and full of picked guitar and retro harmonies, a stylic sensibility he attributes to a love for the Beatles and acoustic rock with a weird punk edge. OEA explores the range of emotions experienced in the transition to sobriety, from fear to backsliding to self-doubt. We're going to listen to my conversation with Adam in just a moment, but first, here's one of my songs. This is Niacin off my album, The Basement Tracks Free, under my band Deadbeat.
Okay, that was my song Niacin off the album The Basement Tracks Free by Deadbeat. And now let's turn to my conversation with Adam Schubert of Ulna. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Well, how are you feeling today? Uh, Good. Um, I hurt myself skateboarding today. Um, But other than that, I'm I'm doing okay. Um, Well, let me... So I start every show off the same way, which is by asking, you know, our guest tonight uh, is you, of course, to share with the listeners, you know, what is a typical week these days? Do you have a typical week these days? Are you working or what does it look like? My typical week or day is um, usually have class because I'm in school now. So I have class and then I skate for a while. And then sometimes I'll just write a song um, or hang out with Alexa. You'll just you'll just uh, peel off a song and then. I write a lot. Yeah, I'll um I'll pretty much I write a song at, at least every day. Oh wow! Yeah, they're not. Well, I mean, they're not always good or you know. But I like you know. I, I really I got like new stuff for recording, so I've just been like wanting to mess with that a lot, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of been like why I do it. What are you going to school for? Um, I'm just doing prerequisites at Harold Washington. And um, hopefully, I want to do social work eventually. Uh That would be ideal. What kind of social work? For addiction. So yeah, um, well that that's a great that's a great segue. I mean that's that's something that we want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, So you have a new album. How do you pronounce the name of your new album? Is it OEA? It's OEA, yeah. Okay, uh, okay. It means opposite to emotion action. It's a DBT term. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's it's whatever you're comfortable sharing, but um, I'm definitely interested in hearing your journey with, you know, this album was influenced, my understanding was influenced by when you were in a recovery program, you were, you were writing while you were in the program? Yeah. Um, I wrote it in the program and I wrote, like maybe one song just before I got sober, like maybe like a week before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I basically wrote it in that whole time. And then also um, uh, after, like about three months after. But I recorded the whole thing during COVID, though. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me, you know, let me ask you some questions, but if you feel like anything's too, you know, you just don't feel like talking about it, just say, oh, let's move on and no, no problem. Okay. Um, but, uh, I guess I'm, I'm curious. I, I wonder if you're comfortable sharing, you know, your kind of your story from, I'm, I mean, what, what substance or substances were you using and how did you get started? I started drinking when I was really young, um, I don't even really remember. Uh, I was probably like, I feel weird with my grandma listening to this. Um, uh, I, I was like probably like 13 or 14. Uh-huh. And um, all my friends drank pretty hard. And um, That's pretty young. Yeah. And uh, like basically I was drinking a lot. That was like my main thing. Uh-huh. And I did um, like like cocaine a lot um, before I went to program. That was like my other substance that I used. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you feel like one of those was more of an issue than the other, or was it both together? That were I think um, alcohol is like the main issue, but uh-huh. they were both becoming major issues. How uh, so? Just using it every day, you know, use Coke a lot. Um, and just like dipping into that kind of uh, <clears throat> habit. So I would do it like every day. I mean, I was using a lot. So. How, how old are you now? I'm 30, 
uh, two. Uh-huh. When yeah. did you, and when did you go in the recovery program that, you know, you wrote the album in? Four years ago? About four, four or five okay. years ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Okay. So, so from the age of 13, did it feel like, I mean, there are, was your use daily? When did you, did it start becoming daily at a certain point? Can you kind of remember that? Well, it would kind of go through phases and since, like, when I was a kid to, like, you know, four years ago it would be like i would take breaks you know which is like a common thing i hear a lot from people uh -huh. is that you take like breaks from drinking and that break is supposed to somehow you know absolve you you mean like like sober january kind of thing yeah like something like that you know just to like prove that you can of, you know validation that if i just stop for a little bit i'll be okay like, I could just go right back to it. And that's what I would do most. I did that a lot. Like, I would be like, I'll stop drinking for a month. And, like, that'll, I'll stop acting like an asshole. <laughs> and, um, uh, but, I mean, that's like, and I was in programs. Like, I went to programs when I was young. And I was in programs, like, even college age. Um, so I've been in and out of that for a long time. Uh -huh. Since I was, like, at least 16. So it's kind of like I had to make the decision on my own to like um, admit like my situation, <clears throat> I was and especially ask. admit like that I can't drink ever again. I think that's like the most important thing. Yeah, um, I know some people do like a month sober to kind of prove to themselves I can stop if I want to. You know, this shows that. I have this control, even if that may not be the case in, in the long game sense. Yeah, I think that's definitely something I've noticed, too. And some people can do that. I mean, there are people who I know that can party really hard and then stop. And they just don't have the bug in them, you know? They don't have yeah. that thing. And it's certainly hard to see that, you know, there is a, a jealousy in that, you know, for definitely... And, um, but it's just like something that you have to come to terms with on your own. That's like really the big thing that you like, I think you have to go through all of that in order to get clean. Like no one, you can't like force anyone really. So if you were, you know, doing programs as early as 16, I mean, it sounds like the issues really happened very quickly for you. It wasn't something that grew over time. In a, in a kind of a longer, longer way. If you're starting at 13 and then by 16 going to programs, you use yeah. the word "have the bug." It makes me feel like you kind of it, it just latched on the addiction aspect. Yeah, I mean that's like kind of an interesting point because it's like my dad is an alcoholic too, so it's like maybe partly genetic. His dad was an alcoholic, and you know, etc. And yeah. I think that. Uh, I think it's kind of like maybe a genetic thing. Um, but yeah, it's, I, it's hard to remember any of those moments from like that age. Um, it, it was mainly just trying things. Like I was just like trying stuff to feel good, like and not angry, basically. You were angry? Yeah. And, um, and I think like that's like what, you know, punk rock music was for me too. You know, it was just like something that was kind of spoke to how I felt and you know that really changed like how I view the world in a lot of ways but so did using drugs and they kind of went hand in hand at least where I lived so it's kind of like people who were into that stuff you know more than likely also like smoked weed and like drank on occasion mm -hmm. are you are you comfortable sharing what your anger was about or is about? Uh, it's just like kind of uh, dad ang like dad issue yeah. stuff. Um, uh, it's definitely like, um, you know, abuse stuff. So it's like a lot of that kind of like how like I felt really. And then um, yeah. also just like feeling really just mad. you're just so angry when you're young and if you're like it just depends some people just like have that in them 
So it's not always like something happened to you. For me, something did happen to me, which made me feel like that. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, you just get into these like when you're young and like a punk and you want to rebel and you like just want to like kind of live in that feeling. Yeah. Part of just a just to like do a little side note here, part of the way that uh, I was thinking about this part of our conversation is, you know, kind of hearing your story that it may, if somebody else hears it and they've, you know, been wondering about their use or thinking about how things have gone over the, over the years that maybe it would help them if they could connect with somebody who has moved through the process or maybe is a little bit further in your, you know, acceptance of where you are. That's or in the recovery, in the recovery. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a little bit kind of where I'm coming from when I'm asking you about these questions. But when you were, you know, you said you've been doing programs since 16 or so. Was that, was that your choice? Were people no. at that time putting you in them? That was like, you know, being put into those places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, so I guess there was one that was by choice, kind of. It was more of just kind of like, I guess, saying... Um, just relinquishing my power. I was just like, fuck it, I'll just go. You know, it's just like, I'm not, like, I was just tired of fighting, you know, basically my parents into, like, saying that, like, I was okay. And I was like, I'll just do it. And, but it was always, like, someone else putting me in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Except for the last time. You know, the last time was all me, so. So... Were there times earlier in your 20s where somebody else persuaded you to go when you became like an adult age? I mean, no one was able to persuade me to go, but people definitely suggested something. Um, uh, I mean, I wasn't even in therapy for, I mean, I've been in therapy since I was really young, but I stopped going to therapy when I was like 26 Mm -hmm. around. And so... There'd just be times when someone would be like, you should go to therapy or you should try this or try that. And I just never would do it. So it's kind of, it was just one of those situations where I had to hit like a bottom for myself to really like actually go through with something. Everybody has to hit a bottom to me, but it doesn't have to be anything like insane or like, you know, dramatic, but something for them that feels like their bottom is like kind of important. I want to talk to you about what that was for you, but first I want to lead up to it with a little bit more detail. So you started use around 13, around 16, your parents were putting you in programs. So my assumption is that some behaviors were happening or things were going on at home that was disruptive or causing, causing you issues. Is that right? How do they, yeah. Um, that's definitely right. I was like not going to school. Um, I was like in uh, Saturday detentions for like over a year. Uh-huh. Um, and I went. Off, I got kicked out and went to off campus. And it was just like not going to school, not trying, drinking, doing drugs, and then I went to program. Pretty much, that was like kind of the how it happens. Okay. And were these inpatient programs? Yeah. They were, the first one was a wilderness program. I had like a hospital experience. And then, um, let's see. And then I had another inpatient program too. One, I went to one in Texas, in Galveston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got shut down. They lost all their money. And I went to one in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. That must have been that must have been tough to go if you didn't want to go. Yeah, it was. And I like stayed with a friend of mine who was living in Galveston for like a couple weeks because mm-hmm. I was gonna move to Austin with one of the people who worked at the program who was like forty. Which at the time I didn't even realize that was like such a I mean, I was like I mean, I was 19, maybe. Yeah. And he was going to take me in, and, like, I was going to live in Austin. 
with him and his family. And um, I ended up just, I don't know, listening to reason, really, and then going to the program in Boulder. Did you ever try to run away from the program? No. It wasn't, I mean, it's not, I tried to run away in wilderness, but I didn't even really try. I just, like, walked off because uh-huh. it's not even worth it or possible. It's just, like, it's just too much of a pain in the ass. There'd just be, like, so much to do to try to actually leave. Uh-huh. And it's, like, I knew a couple people who did it, um, but they didn't get very far. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. So, and you're a kid, so you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. I guess that's why they make them remote sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, wilderness especially. I knew someone who was successfully ran away at night and got to a road. And when he always told the story, I remember thinking it was so wild, but it's not really. That someone from the program picked him up, like, by accident. <laughs> but the thing is, of course... I'm sure they operate in this, you know, essentially in like this 20, 30 mile radius. So that road is like, you know, just probably going right through it. So the odds of someone picking up that works there or knows who, like this random kid in like blue thermals is like probably Mm -hmm. in the program. (laughs) So he like got taken back like immediately. But people definitely like, you know, Someone said, oh, it's definitely possible. And That's my husband. He's got, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. I just didn't care enough to really try that hard to do that. Like, most of the people that I knew, we would just sneak in things. We would just use in the program. Like, when I lived in Galveston, we used in the program all the time. Yeah. But. Were there, were there any, so I assume this was all kind of for the same age range. Mm-hmm. These programs yeah. were. Were there anybody there who was into it, who was trying to do work the program at that age? I mean, I guess, like, when I was in Boulder, I worked the program pretty hard. Uh-huh. Um, and how old were you at that one? I was 19. Yeah. And I was there for a year, and I worked the whole program. I mean, you know that you have to work the program to leave. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. It's like, you know, it'll be a lot easier if you just do it and you can go. So was that it's like, Right. But a lot of people, you know, in the back of your mind, you know that you're just going to like use again later one day. So you that's know, it's like it, it's not going to last. It's like the sobriety won't last. So that was your mindset it was like, I'll work the program. That'll help me get out of here. But I'm not like committed to sobriety. No sobriety. Yeah. At that point. Did you, do you feel like, looking back, do you feel like you got anything out of those experiences? Oh, yeah. I mean, I met a lot of people that I really liked and cared about and shared intimacies with. Um, and we knew everything about each other in such, like, extreme ways. Mm-hmm. When you're in a program with someone, you are, you know, like, every secret of theirs. And it's very personal. And a lot of the times, you never see them again. Most of the time. And it's really difficult to deal with, like, the way you act and talk in program is not how you act or talk outside of it. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that you're way more um, open. Mm -hmm. Uh, You share things that maybe, like, other people don't want to hear. You overshare, really. And you also talk to people like you talk to them in program, which is not how people talk. So it's really difficult for a lot of people to make that transition out of program into the real world. Mm-hmm. That's probably the hardest thing. Did you, I mean, did it take you any time to get to the level of, of willingness to share in the program? Not, not really, honestly. I was pretty open to sharing with uh-huh. people. Yeah. That didn't really bother me. What's that? Did you like that part? Yeah, I mean, like, the connection was really nice yeah. that I would make with people there. And, you know, I, I just, like, I didn't mind being honest with, like, the people there and talking about stuff. So you went through a few programs and then 
can you kind of give us a timeline, like kind of a broad strokes timeline? So at 16 was your first program, and then you were also in one at 19, that was a Boulder one? Yeah, and then, and then that's it. And then I was in, because um, I was in like the Texas and Boulder one, and then um, I wasn't in anything really until uh, I was in a place called Compass four years ago. That's where I went. To. Okay, so what was it when you when you left? I mean, that's a long time to be in a program, you know, kind of in this world. Like you're saying, it feels really different from when you exit it and go back to interacting. What was that like for you? What did you did you come back to Illinois? Did you what did you do? Did you try to work when you came from that? Yeah, I, I came. I went to school at Columbia. So I left Boulder. Went to Columbia College in Chicago for a, like a like a semester, and I hated living here. And then I moved back to Colorado, and I lived in Colorado for God, I can't even remember how long a long time. And then worked at like a resale store, and drank a lot, and partied, and moved back to Chicago. And then basically just continued the same uh, behavior until like four years ago. Like there'd be interims of time, you know, there'd be like these breaks in between yeah. where I would stop doing Like, you know, I wouldn't do Coke anymore or I wouldn't like, I would stop drinking for like 30 days or. Why? Can, can you remember a time where you were like, okay, that's it. I'm taking a break. For example. I mean, it was mainly at the, just because I saw like how it was affecting like, my like uh partner at the time mm -hmm. and you know i guess I, it made me feel to i think it was mainly to appease other people though was your partner urging you to make changes i think i don't know if they were really i don't remember them urging me but i remember it being like i could recognize that it was becoming an issue yeah and i think that was like trying to appease them by like well I'll stop drinking for a month okay and, like, whatever so where was music in all this for you during during this time period? Oh, like from 16 to now? Well, you know, were you playing when you were in Boulder in the program? Were you, was no. that, was just sort of a steady thing the whole time? Yeah, I've been playing that entire time and recording too. Like I recorded a ton when I lived in Boulder. Um, I was in like a noise band in Boulder with my roommate at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess, I, yeah, I just like record all the time, just like write songs. I pretty much have been writing songs like and recording them at least two or three a week for since that time. Okay. So it's like, but usually, you know, I this is the first time I've ever owned like real gear. Yeah. Where I can actually do it. Like I recorded my first EP that I did when I was under ruins um, over with my phone uh -huh. uh, using like the headphone jack to record it. Yeah. And, um, so this is the first time I've really ever like owned gear that I can like record something that sounds like not like garbage. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's like, but through all of that, I mean, honestly, for me, it was like, if I stopped drinking and doing drugs, my songs were going to suck. Like, that's what I used to think. Like, I won't be able to write lyrics anymore. And because I would, I remember I would always think like, oh, when I drink really hard, I write really good songs. Because like the lyrics are really good. And then I think a lot of people think that, at least that I knew, would like, if they used, they stopped using their the creativity output would die. Yeah. The well would dry up. Yeah. And I thought that at least for sure. One concept of addiction that I think really is really interesting and it seems important to talk about is the idea of like the positive gains. You know, think about all the bad things that happened. Let's say smoking. You know, mm -hmm. you think about your lungs and cancer and, and looking old or whatever it is that seems bad. Yeah. Um, but there's also things about it that work for people. You know, some people make friends because they go out and have a cigarette or they get a break from their work. Uh, and or they kind of think of. All What's that? Is, all you can do is smoke. 
you know, it's like, for me, that's like all I can do is smoke. You know, it's like, that's my, you know, it's, it's just funny you said that because that's like what I've been thinking about lately. It's like, I don't want to get cancer, but it's like my ultimate crutch. So well, what, are, what are the positive gains for you for smoking? What do you get well, out first of First off, when I play a show, like I really be alone after the show for a minute and just like, you know, be with myself. And that'll be like the perfect excuse to have cigarettes. Yeah. Do not like being around really drunk people. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, yeah. I feel really yeah. mad. You know, I get like angry inside. If I have a bad show, I mean, I certainly don't want to be around anyone. And like the bottle has always been a place for me where, you know, I smoke in the basement and I can just stay there and drink my Coca-Cola yeah. and smoke and I'm like free from the social con like contract for a while. Yeah. And that's always been really nice. Big tobacco money is funding music therapy. That's right. <laughs> no. Um that's not Bam true. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean that's exactly that's exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like if you're gonna quit something you have to recognize that it is doing something for you. And acknowledge that you can't just take that away. You're still going to need alone time after a show, even if you quit smoking, probably. Yeah, right. It's just a lot easier to like say I need to have a cigarette in right. my conversation with someone like at a show. I thought of that because you were just talking about how, and I know this is true of a lot of people that, and it's even romanticized the idea of substance use and creativity being really linked, and people. Worrying, maybe maybe they would lose that inspiration or that ability to create, or or maybe they find it romantic in some way to be that fig that tragic figure or something like that. Yeah, I think that's certainly a part of it. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if you're like into punk music, you know, it's going to be like, you know, that's the whole Johnny Thunder's romant- romantic, you know, and um, you want to be like this devil may care dude. And Chicago is just like so much of that, like six, seven years ago when it was like the garage rock scene. And it was just like throw beer cans like at the bands and stuff like that as like because you like them. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was really fun, you know, and that's the thing. But it's like it's for that getting real fucked up and like being terrible is like romanticized for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Or like being crazy, you know, like the Van Gogh thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you have to have like bipolar disorder to be a good artist. Right. You know, or it makes you special in some way or something. Right. That would, I think, be another layer of why it would be hard to change that kind of behavior. If you're feeling like this is really connected with my music, even if I see maybe negative things coming off of drinking or using cocaine or whatever, that that would I, create a tension. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, you're the character of the drunk person. You know, I mean, that's, like, also a part of it, too. There's, like, a personality within that that, like, you're afraid of losing. Like, who am I if I'm not doing this? The, you know, being the drunk? Of being, like, this person. Like, what am I going to do at night? Like, what am I going to talk about? How right. am I going to talk to people at all? You know, it's like all the shyness or fear that you have of being around other people or what to say, how to act, obviously goes away when you're drinking. Yeah. And it certainly goes away if you're doing cocaine. And it's like those things are so, that's the positive you see. You're like, oh, I'll be more outgoing. So if I stop, like, how am I even going to play a show not drunk? Like, how can I even get up there and perform in front of people that was so hard for me like i was really lucky that cafe racer my other band had a lot of shows like the first month i was sober so it's like i just had to do it like i just had to deal with it and get through it and obviously it's like if you have people who care about you they'll like respect you know what triggers you yeah what about um, other people? I mean, I imagine if you're in the scene or even even bandmates, not that I'm trying to get you to name names or anything, but was that an adjustment to go from using to not using and being around people that you used to use with? 
post, yeah, it's definitely really hard. Also, people tend to, when you get sober, people seem to kind of like, they don't know what to tell to say to you. Like, that's like also a thing sometimes I've noticed. They don't know how to act, you know, like sometimes. Like, they don't know if like the appropriate thing they can do around you. So they just, you know, want to be around. In terms of what? Like having a beer? Having a beer. Like, if this is bothering you, they don't know, you know, and stuff like that. And then, of course, like a lot of times, you know, you get people really drunk who are like talking about wanting to be sober that was like a thing that happened to me a lot yeah when i first got sober which i was always like really great grateful to have people come up to me and like want to talk about that as like as terms like as far as their sobriety is concerned mm-hmm. and um but a lot of the time it wasn't really it didn't mean anything because they were so drunk you know it wouldn't like move past that one night of them saying that and uh it's like they want you to save them maybe in that moment and then you like reach out and they're not really like maybe they're not ready they're not ready at all which is like fine but it's like that's it's hard when you're first getting sober and you don't even know how to manage your own sobriety right you know and that's like just something that happens so so going back to people don't necessarily know what to say or how to act around you what I know this answer would be different for different people, but for you, what would you what do you want people to say or do or ask about? I don't know. I mean, whatever they think whatever they want really. I mean it's like they don't have to ask anything. You know, that's like the they could just do whatever they want to do and like it'll be fine with me really. Uh-huh. Like now especially, I'm like certainly uh comfortable enough in my sobriety that like nothing bothers me anymore. Really. How long have you been sober? Four years around. Four years? Like yeah. Um, uh, I mean, if I sometimes I get triggered, for sure. I mean, there's been certain shows I've played that it, it just comes and goes. Sometimes you're just, like, triggered. And, like, you know, if you do certain things that you do, like, if you do certain drugs, they stay, the feeling, the memory of the feeling stays with you for really forever, I feel yeah. like. So you're always like it's always kind of on your mind, and it's like I feel like that's why I write songs about it all the time. I feel like I can't escape writing songs about it. And I'm not really sure why yet. Do you dream about using? No, I haven't really. I don't think so. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't um, remember. Maybe. Do you have an example of a recent time that you're comfortable sharing of when you felt triggered? Yeah, I mean, um, I think the most intense feeling of being triggered was that when I played with White Pence, um, and everybody ordered a shot of Malort in the green room, oh. and it was like the first time in a long time that I've, uh, that was the first time in a long time that I, like, wanted to take that drink. That I was like, I felt like I was going to reach for it even. It was really bizarre. What do you think it was about that moment, that particular time? No, I don't even know. It's just like the the habit of it doing it and like the motion of like there's shots there and everyone goes in to grab one. Yeah, that'd be but hard. Like, you know, but like I'm the, the one who isn't and it's like that feels, it's like maybe that feeling of, you know, you're kind of left out, but it's more of yeah. just like, it was like a muscle memory. It yeah, was okay. kind of like, oh, I have to do that. And then when I didn't do it, I got that this itch that like I remember if like it's like if you don't if you can't get when you're young or or if you do drugs or something and you can't get the thing you're trying to get and you feel like angry. You know, that's like and you're like, Oh god damn it, I really wanna do that. Yeah. But it was like it came out of nowhere. You know, that's the thing. I don't really know. There is no why. It just happens. Yeah. It just, like, will happen, and, you know, you just try not to actually do it. So how do you do that? How do you... I mean, that would be really hard, I think, especially being in a band and playing music and being in that environment so frequently. How how do you work through those moments? Well, you just, like... I don't know. It's just, like, that willpower. You know, it's just, like, you just try not to. You know, it's, like, I definitely... 
you know, I basically am like, I'm just going to not do that right now. Or, or you walk away. Sometimes it's the easiest uh-huh. if you can. But sometimes you can't. So there's been times I've camped and stuff like that. There's booze around and I can't yeah. go anywhere. So it's like you just have to deal with it. Yeah. And smoking is how I get away with it, honestly. Like, usually yeah. I smoke and then I feel a lot better. Yeah. And, um, but I don't know. You just try not to do it and then... The feeling's going to go away. It'll pass. You just have to wait it out. You know, that's really it. Kind of remind yourself of that. Yeah. That's really the big thing. But sometimes it might not work. That's like a, a reality that I think people need to, like, come to terms with. It's just the way it goes. Like, some, you- some, like there's going to be moments that, like, maybe someone will. It's like maybe you do take that drink. It's possible. It's like you're only a person. I think having like the, such a high standard for yourself where you're like, you know, you're going to feel like you're going to die if you did it. You know, that's like kind of not helpful. It's just knowing that like you can probably like not do it right now. Mm, that's like think? always kind of what I think. I'm like, I'm not going to do that right now. You know, it's like, I can't do that. And then like, you just try to stop yourself. And that's a big tenet of 12 step, right? Is that it's just one day at a time. Yeah, it's definitely... I think that's like really the most important way to go about it. Like to think about it. I don't count my days though, like in AA or anything. Like I'm, t- I'm just kind of like saying I'm pretty sure it's been four years, but I, I don't, I don't really count my days at all. Yeah. So okay, going back to I kind of want to lead up to what your bottom was, but I also want to um, in that talk about. I mean the stages of, of readiness for change. And it feels like you, you know, over the course of many years have reached a point where you were really ready to change and really ready to commit, but that that took a while. Yeah, it did. Um, so like what my bottom was basically. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I just started developing severe anxiety, like panic disorder, uh-huh. um, uh, which I never had before. The first time I had a panic attack that was like severe where what happens to me is my, my hands clench up and like get stiff. Um, and of course, like I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And the first time that happens, I was drinking after like I had gotten, uh, what was it? Strep throat, I think. It was like. You know, I was like on antibiotics and I was drinking and I was doing cocaine and I got the panic attack like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, I've done like a lot of coke and I thought I was having an overdose. And uh, so I just kind of like walked around and was just like, tried to get rid of it or was thinking it would go away. Then I thought it was kind of like, when that first happened, I thought it was maybe this, um, like it was because I did drugs, like I mixed the drugs and then like I drank at the same time. Mm-hmm. But then that started happening more frequently where I'd get panic attacks like that. And then every time I drank, I got a panic attack like that. And then I just got them every day. And I would call like the ER, like I'd call the, like an ambulance or I'd walk to like the hospital. Um, and I was going to the hospital like, three times a week. Oh, man. Did you know that it was, I mean, uh, did you recognize after a while that they were panic attacks or did you not know what was going on? Um, well, they told me there were panic attacks, but they felt like heart attacks. Like they were so terrifying that I thought I was going to die. Yeah. And so I basically just go there to get an Ativan and like go home. That was like really what would happen. And I kept getting them all the time. And it was like, I couldn't sleep and... I wasn't even using because I was so scared that I would, if I drank, you know, even a sip of something, I would get a panic attack like that. Uh-huh. So then I was just like, basically sober because out of fear. And, uh, and then, you know, it was, I was just like in and out of the hospital basically for a while. Oh man. How long did that period last? That was like a couple weeks of that, give uh-huh. or take, maybe a little bit more. Okay. 
it got the the last week was the worst where it was like I went in like a few like a lot where like the people there knew me and um which was like really embarrassing yeah and um were definitely annoyed I was there so how did that lead to you making the change or being ready to change I think it was just because I was like it was just debilitating like I couldn't live you know it was like it was like getting to the point where I wouldn't leave my apartment yeah. at all um, it was just getting like out of hand and like I, I wanted it like I was like sick and tired of being sick and tired yeah I don't know if anyone out there knows what that is but that's a AA reference but it's like that's literally what I felt so so okay so did you take your last drink and not know it was your last drink or did you make a decision at one point or when did you go to the program in relation to when that happened? Well, I mean, I, like I said, I wasn't really drinking then because I was like, it was just so fucked yeah. up how I was feeling. But I think my last drink, I mean, I, I like, you know, there was moments like in the program, like when I started, like that's why it's not completely been four years that I slipped like while in the program so it's kind of like i uh the last time i remember taking before i went to program i was at a bar i had one shot of something and then like i got a severe panic attack like immediately and that was probably the last time i drank because i was so scared yeah and then i went into program pretty soon after that and it sounded like i think you said towards the beginning that you have come to a place were you recognize that you can't use anymore? Is that correct? Oh, but yeah. Uh, definitely. There's no way. I, I'll never be able to drink. Ever. That's just like a fact. Uh-huh. I just can't do it. I mean, that's, I can't handle... I can't handle it. it. Not even can't handle it, but like my brain won't allow me to like drink normally. It sounds like the part of what in a weird way helped you to get this was this very direct cause and effect you know some people may slowly performance at work suffers you know but it's it's a little less clear over time that maybe alcohol is you know can be in in some denial about it in, in that sense but if you're having I drink and then I have a panic attack that's a pretty clear cause and effect that would be pretty powerful I would think yeah, and then of course there was like a lot of other mania and depression stuff going on too, and uh, that like definitely helped the want to like be in program. Uh-huh. Uh for sure, and I think uh yeah that was pretty much like it wasn't like severe as severe as some people have gone through for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what that means even. But well, yeah, well, I was going to ask, what what are you referring to? It's just like, you know, some bo- some people's bottoms are like being homeless, you yes. know, and like are worse. And it's like, that's like, you hear that in meetings and, in you know, or just like being in the hospital. But I mean, just being in the hospital, for, you know, a lot was definitely like my wake up. And there were like a couple other things in there that, made me want to get clean too. I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just like, you just know it when it's your time. Yeah. That's really it. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're kind of, (laughs) this is like 20 years of history. We're trying to cram into like an hour here. So obviously yeah, there's, I'm sure so much more, but I guess I want to ask just being mindful of times. I definitely want to talk about, your album more specifically, but is there any other part of your experience that you would want to share? And is there anything that you would want to say to someone who might be watching this or listening to this, who maybe is struggling and thinking about, is something going on with me or should I make a change? What would you say to them? I would say that they should be honest with like themselves and which they probably are already, but at least honest with other people, maybe, um, as the extent of their problem. 
and like being open and then knowing that it's not, there's nothing to be embarrassed about or guilty about. It's like, it's like you have, you know, I don't really subscribe to the disease module of AA, but it's like, there is something in you that's like, makes it much harder to like live without those things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just like try to quit, you know, like just give it a shot. That's like, I guess like my only suggestion to people is like, just might as just give it a chance to see if like you could do it or like maybe you'll be happier. Mm -hmm. And, but it comes from the person. So I guess like really it's when you feel you're ready to do it, you can, you know, and if you don't feel ready to do it and that's also your decision. That's yeah. really it. Is there anything else about your experience um, with, with using in your recovery that you want to put out there? I mean, I guess like if you're, if anyone is like trying to get sober and think that it's, it is really hard to be sober in Chicago. That's like a fact. And it's not really like the beauty is that a lot of places are becoming maybe like hit to that, that like people are trying to like not drink as much. So if some venues have more options. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, really like, you know, to get the feeling like what I used to do is I would get bitters and soda. That uh -huh. was like, my drink for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, that was easy to, you feel kind of so connected to everything, you know, not so left out. Yeah. I mean, I, I drink Coca-Cola, which is probably not really the best thing. <laughs> um, but I think like, you know, like Topo Chico is good because it's in a bottle. You know, like anything that makes you feel like you're part of it and you have something in your hand and like you're still connected. And people really will understand and and some might not, but it's like the people that you want around you will. Yeah. That's the most important. Yeah. And not to give up, just like keep going for it, you know. And like if you fuck up, it's okay. That's like really the big thing to me. I guess that's really what I want to say to anyone is that like it's okay if you fuck up it's like you are not at zero and i don't know if anyone out there understands that but it's like you're still like learning things and everything you learn while sober is still there it's not mm -hmm. like you're automatically at square one that, that's not true yeah that at all so that's i guess my big thing it's like it's okay if you fuck up and you can get back on it yeah, I mean, I think you you almost going through a relapse can be a, a learning moment. You know, what happened? What led to that? What what might you do next time? Right. This I think time. like I'm, I have the only like there's a lot of beautiful things about NA and AA, but I definitely some people like this is good for them to have that accountability of that if they mess up, it's like they're back at zero again. If that works for you, that's great. But it's like, for me, at least, like, I think that if I thought that way, I would, if my, la like, lapses would have been, like, like a month long, probably. Yeah. Like, it would have been way longer than just a day or a night of drinking. It would have yeah. been, like, I would have been, like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it every day. Right, right. You know, it's like the yeah. shame part comes in. Yeah. So I think that's kind of my big thing for people is like, it's okay if you have that happen. It's like, you can just stop. It's like the morning you're in the morning, you're sober. So yeah. you can just keep being sober that day. Yeah. Now it's like, so. Make the know, next choice. Kind of like, yeah. I think that's good. Um, I, I really, uh, I really do like your album a lot. I've been listening to it. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what to ask about. I mean, I know, you know, you said you wrote most of it while you were in recovery. Um, is there, what would you like to share about the songs or the album or, or the sound of the album? Uh, well, I mean, the sound, um, I don't know. Uh, I think that, you know, I wrote the album just like, I had a lot of bad memories, I guess, you know, and I think that was like why I wrote that record. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a lot of guilt. You feel guilty a lot. I still feel guilty all the time. 
there's um you know the band Crack Cloud, you ever heard of them? I haven't. They're like a punk band from Calgary and they're all sober. Uh that's like kind of they talk about being sober and like the the story a lot. And um they have a lyric in there, one of their songs that's like guilt is a word I hear in my mind all the time. Uh-huh. Which is so real. I mean that's like so perfect. And that thing like when you're when I started writing this album, I guess I just like I think I wrote one song that ended up being about getting sober, but it was like about using, you know, like about like how I felt using and like how I feel now at the same time and how guilty and ashamed you are. Like, I think that's like really like how I felt. Was it cathartic? It was, but it was also like super painful because I felt like it was like impossible to stop talking about. And I still feel that way to a degree. Like the stuff I'm working on right now, it's like, I was able to, uh, I was like, I'm just going to make an album about growing up in my hometown. And then now it's like, it's like I have something else to focus on. But I find myself like writing songs about, you know, moments that I've witnessed and experienced mm-hmm. a lot. Because it's just like always there. And I think that's a really common thing. I've How noticed that in other people who are sober, who play music, that their songs are mainly, it's just hard to forget. How does it feel to when you perform those songs? Uh, it feels good. I mean, I like playing live. Um, like it just depends. Like if it's a if the sound is good, then I guess like I feel what I felt. That's like the goal. Maybe is I feel what I felt while singing it. Like when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I don't know, but I move on from things really quickly, and, and musically at least. Like in my songs, like I like them, and then sometimes I just don't really. I'm just kind of like over it in a way. Yeah. Like those songs feel really old to me now. Yeah. Um, but I think "Borrowed Time" is the song I like the most because of just the chord changes and the melody. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I like the melody, you know, that's it feels good singing it all the time because it sounds nice. Yeah. To me. Um, let me, I'm just peeking at my notes to see if there's, oh, I mean, here's, I, how was last year for you with the shut? I I imagine for a lot of people that was very hard for sobriety and for use. And some people developed habits last year. Yeah. Some people also got clean during it, which is like, I mean, fucking good for you. I mean, I don't know how the hell anyone could do that. I, yeah. I, I know like a few people who got sober at the beginning and stayed sober all the way. And I was, I'm, I think they're just fucking heroes. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they did That'd that. Be tough. Yeah. There's no way I could do that. But I mean, I already had like three years under my belt by then. Yeah. And I felt totally fine. Okay. And I had like, you know, my old roommates uh, who were, one of them is sober and for like 11 almost 11 years so it's kind of like he was really easy to talk to and yeah and alexa you know it's like just people had my back you know in that way so it was easy plus i basically got to do the thing that i should never do is isolate um yeah and i was allowed to do that and so i wrote like a song a day for yeah over a month and it was awesome and I mean, it was, it was like, obviously so many terrible things happened to so many people, but for my own mental health, it really wasn't, it was bad for a little bit because I was living in Alexa's studio with her and it was very close quarters. But other than that, it really wasn't like that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there was the fear of dying was obviously like intense, but right. my habits were I felt like I could like, go crazy. Like I was like, oh, I could record every second, you know, like, and it's yeah. fine. And I don't have to talk to anybody ever again. And um, I, I think that was definitely part, partially in my mind for sure. Speaking of Alexa, so I did, I, I can't not ask you this before we end. We just have a couple more minutes, but I did a photo shoot with her recently. This is great. And do you have a cat? I do. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> um, so she told me that you're a big Beck fan. I'm like, Beck's my favorite artist ever. So I guess I wanted to ask you, what's your favorite Beck album or song? Oh, shit. Uh, hold on. I have... My favorite things by Beck are his singles that he did in the 90s. Uh-huh. Um, I have a few of them. My f- good friend Tommy uh, showed me this one. It's called Steve Threw Up. Yeah. It's probably like my favorite Beck song. Uh-huh. Um, it's not easy to find. You could find it on Discogs. Uh, but it's certainly like the best song of his, in my opinion. Yes. Looks like that. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, uh, and has uh, the band That Dog doing um, background vocals. Uh-huh. Uh And it's insane because it's basically like a really typical pretty folk song yeah. until the very last seconds, and it turns into like absolutely insane like noise uh-huh. and just screaming and like analog synth noise it's amazing and it's funny because like people don't really know a lot of this early stuff which sucks because it's really good it is good um and it's really weird and cool but yeah i mean i love early beck a lot it's like definitely one of my favorite things plus he's like master uh appalachian folk music like hillbilly music guy totally really good at that well let me i i could i should have left more time to talk about beck but uh first of all where can people go and find your new album um you can go to uh born yesterday rex.bandcamp.com to get the record um i think there should be a link in the spotify as well for the record uh-huh. uh you can come see only play at a venue near you um in august and that's about it. And then Sugar Records just released a special edition vinyl of mine. So I highly recommend checking that out. And Reckless, I think, has them too. Great. Both on Milwaukee. Which is my regular album. Um, well, thank you. You are, I mean, thank you so much for being so candid and open. With- yeah. Um, uh, you know, sorry I'm moving like that, you know. Um, uh, but... Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really glad to talk about stuff like this. Um, it's important to me, and certainly, like anyone out there who's like wanting to get clean. I mean, you know, I hope you, if you feel like you want to talk, so it's all good. All know. right. Now let's listen to a song from Olna. This is "I Was a Monster" from their latest album, OEA. something pretty so the world can let me off easy and I want to say something true so I can't get to know you and I was a monster that time that time
time, that time, and I don't know why. That was I Was a Monster by OEA. I want to thank Adam Schubert for talking with me today and for his honesty and vulnerability in sharing his story of addiction, recovery, and sobriety. I also want to thank all of you for tuning into the show. If you want to know more about the show or learn about upcoming guests and events, please visit musictherapypodcast.com. You can also visit jessicarisker.com. Please be sure to leave us a review. Take care and see you next week. Mm-hmm.